Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. My name is uh, David Orban, and I am very glad to have uh, all of you following uh, the show. Uh, we are streaming live on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, Twitch. LinkedIn is the latest uh, platform that uh, adopted live streaming, and we embraced uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, and since this is live, um, I will welcome your comments and your questions. Uh, of course, uh, if uh, you feel that uh, the topic of today or others that you may have discovered uh, as uh, part of uh, searching for the question live are interesting for you, uh, you are welcome to subscribe um, or follow depending on the platform of uh, your choice. Uh, our guest uh, today uh, is uh, very, very uh, interesting. Uh, I met uh, James uh, quite a few years ago uh, in California, uh, and uh, he has already been uh, playing, uh, uh, or well, more than playing, with the idea that we will be covering uh, today. Um, how can we rethink, redesign, and re-implement the way uh, that uh, we uh, build uh, communities in the physical world? Uh, a lot of time today is spent in uh, thinking about the digital world, which does indeed deserve our attention but uh, we cannot forget about the physical world. And uh, that is uh, where James uh, uh, Ehrlich concentrates his attention. Uh, welcome, James, to Searching for the Question Live. Uh, David, it's just so great to see you again. So um, where are you right now in, in the physical world? In the physical world, uh, I am just a short bike path away from campus at Stanford okay. University, where I uh, continue my affiliation in the School of Medicine and the Stanford Flourishing Project, uh, but also as an entrepreneur in residence at Stanford, I'm uh, running our Regen Villages uh, Impact for Profit Initiative. Wonderful. Uh, and, and, and that is well where we originally met, uh, I think, in 20 maybe 13 or 12, I, something like that. Uh, I, I should have looked it up uh, because I'm sure uh, my archive uh, would have told me the exact uh, date. Uh, and uh, I don't know um, where, where the whole thing uh, started, but uh, to me it sounds like there must be a, a, a wonderful backstory. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, you before starting uh, the, the Region Villages project? Sure, so I'm originally from, from New York and uh, grew up uh, you know, mostly between Long Island and New York City, but a lot more on New York City. Uh, did my undergrad at uh, New York University, combination of computer science and, and media tech, uh, because I was really interested in video games and video game design and, and uh, how all those things work. And, um, and made my way out to, to Northern California to, uh, to start a software company with some friends uh, in the um, early 1990s. 
It was the the heyday, the early times of of the uh, cartridge game uh, industry and the burgeoning CD-ROM game industry. And we were also doing some interesting tools and technology software for uh, special effects for motion pictures. So doing some work with George Lucas and Industrial Light and Magic and and um, and just being out in California and being and living north of the Golden Gate Bridge. If those folks uh, online here know about this beautiful place called Marin County, uh, there's um, very interesting uh, communities there that uh, have a small plot, organic, biodynamic uh, family farms and are leading these very beautiful, healthy lives, uh, very connected, interconnected with their uh, with their natural resource flows. So I see you're, you're picking up some images of Sausalito and the coast. Yes, it's a very, very beautiful place. Uh, a short vignette, when I first moved from New York City to, to Fairfax, California, in Marin, um, people were riding their horses into town and hitching their, there were hitching posts in front of the coffee roasting company where people were getting their lattes and their espressos, et cetera, uh, with the horses sitting out front. So literally just like this part of my brain went like that. Um, so it was like that Steinberg painting, you know, like looking outside the, 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 you know, from Western Manhattan that everything from New Jersey beyond was like cactuses, you know, whatever. So, uh, but I, I started to really understand and, and get, uh, you know, this visceral connection to, to nature and, and the earth in such a, a beautiful way, especially with indigenous and first nations wisdom. Um, and, and then, you know, recalling of course, my childhood in New York city where New York is an incredibly vibrant, diverse place where you can get anything you want delivered, you know, at three 30 in the morning, you know, a particular kind of regional, you know, uh, Indian food, you know, delivered to you. So long as you have the money, of course, but I was always, um, trying to imagine how is it that this place even works with all the layers of ancient infrastructure, uh, with all the rats and such crawling around and, and basically gnawing at things. So yeah, it's been um, uh, quite an interesting uh, journey to get to out here to California. And uh, uh, I uh, believe that uh, now is uh, a good time to talk more specifically about uh, region villages. Uh, I, I will have a lot of questions. I, my motto is, uh, what is the question that uh, I should be uh, asking? Uh, but uh, I will hold uh, those questions uh, until uh, you are done explaining uh, more in detail what uh, Region Villages is. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you have a, a presentation uh, to share. Yes. Uh, so uh, if you want to bring that up, I will uh, show it on screen and then the stage is going to be yours. Perfect. Okay, so uh, let me get this all fired up. I'm going to assume that you see it nice and full screen now. Absolutely. The stage is yours. Okay. Well, so uh, thanks again. So yes, I am James Ehrlich and I'm founder of Regen Villages, which is a Stanford spinoff company. As I mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur in residence at um, Stanford University School of Medicine in the Stanford Flourishing Project. <clears throat> I'm also a faculty member at Singularity University. I am a senior fellow at NASA Ames Research Center 
And under the Obama administration, I was appointed to a White House uh, OSTP Joint Task Force on Regenerative Infrastructure. And, um, and now, of course, under the Biden-Harris administration, we're certainly looking forward to that, um, that uh, Joint Task Force uh, firing back up again. My primary thesis is and continues to be that the best case for the survival of our species on a healthy planet, Mother Earth, uh, is to look at life outside of uh, urban areas, especially outside of these coastal mega cities. And like I mentioned before, coming from New York City, uh, was deeply impacted by uh, what happened with Hurricane Sandy in 2011. And um, you can see a lot of places around the world that are uh, very brittle in terms of infrastructure. And, and now because of COVID, um, essentially we went from being chicken little to pundits uh, within the last year because of the fact that we predicted that some kind of anomaly would happen that would make urban areas not feel as safe and inviting as they used to. So uh, Regen Villages is this initiative uh, to imagine machine learning, designing, and then operating these bioregenerative and resilient neighborhood infrastructure uh, and retrofits. And, and really I'm standing on the shoulders of this uh, eco-village movement that has, has transcended over the last number of decades. Um, but uh, and I mentioned before that I moved to Marin County from New York and, and I was really starting to learn about the work of Rudolf Steiner uh, and, and, um, and biodynamic farming, which is very interesting uh, celestial kind of farming practices, which may seem esoteric, but actually the yields and the, uh, we would say the bioavailability of the nutrition is, is definitely um, at a higher scale than, than even traditional organic. Uh, but also the work of Bill Mollison um, coming out of Australia in the 1970s on this topic of what's called permaculture or permanent culture, where you can imagine these very lush, uh, dense, and chaotic-seeming uh, food forests that don't need really much maintenance. They actually are self-healing, self-maintaining, uh, symbiotic um, areas, that, uh, but that you're able to gather lots of food from in a year-round way. And, and so an interesting path that I went on, I started a software company, as I mentioned, up in Marin County, and the software company was doing well, doing video game design and development and, and working with Lucas and others, and um, surrounded by these farm-to-table communities. And as I was eating this food and having the laughter and the tears and all the joy in these, these communities, um, I was really trying to figure out, why am I so happy? Why do I feel so healthy? What's going on here that I've never felt before in my life? And I, and I realized that there's something powerful in that agency and that access to where your natural resource flows are happening. And so interesting sidebar, entrepreneurial sidebar, I started to film these stories, this case study research of these family farmers and tracking where the food was going. And that turned into actually a very popular television cooking show uh, called Organic Living. And by the apex in the mid-2000s, we were reaching over 35 million homes a week on national public television here in the U.S. And we had a best-selling companion cookbook uh, on Hachette. But the stories were more than just about 
the the family farms and the food and the chefs and the recipes the the stories were also about um this this cobbling together of these very resilient technologies passive house um typologies and um, the early solar voltaic panels and solar thermal the light board geothermal the um the uh, clean water and waste to resource management with living machines and the kind of burning man crowd of electric vehicles buzzing around and 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 the the feeling that i got from all of this was really resiliency that these were communities that in case of district scale issues anomalies they they would be coming along they would be doing what they're doing uh, just fine so um, fast forward when i came to stanford in 2012 um, really part of it, you know, I would say a master's thesis from my perspective was this uh, idea of looking for a software connection to the natural world. And I was deeply inspired by the work of a professor from the University of uh, British Columbia, UBC, named Dr. Suzanne Simard, who lovingly uh, phrased this term, the wood wide web uh, versus the, the world wide web. When she discovered this fibrous uh, fungal ethernet network, uh, under the forest floor that is conveying all of these nutrients, minerals, carbon, sugar, uh, even water allotments um, across vast distances. And it's a have-need network that is signaled through you know, electrochemical um, activity. And, and what was really compelling about her research is that it's a long-term ledger uh, where, where even across species, the, these uh, plants and shrubs and trees and cultivars are supporting each other. And I thought, gosh, what a beautiful metaphor, right? Uh, going deeper into biomimetics or biomimicry, right? 30% of our DNA is fungal. It's mycorrhizal, right? Uh, it's the oldest living organism on earth. The mushroom is about 4.2 billion years old. Most recently, it's been discovered at a cosmological scale that galaxies are actually interconnected through these thin fibers of dark matter. And when simulated, uh, gosh, it looks a whole lot like a mycorrhizal bundle. Now, what's really important to note is that the my, mycelial networks don't have a central brain. They're sentient, they're vast, they're huge organisms, but they have intelligence at the point of sensing and the ability to act at the point of sensing. And that was really the, 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 uh, all the inspiration I needed for our village OS software, our village operating system software that could both design and then operate these decentralized, regenerative, uh, resilient, and sentient uh, communities and, and retrofits. At the heart of it, of course, is this really delicious, full menu, non-till soil farming uh, community that surrounds the new build and the retrofit areas, but that is a different economic model than the current big ag, right? Uh, so we follow the UN protocols, actually it was an UNCTAD report from 2011 that basically said the best way to feed 10 billion people, it's not actually big ag, it's actually hyper-local, small ag, just like this. And um, oops, my screen has a little glitch there. But um, what, uh, what we're uh, also on about is this controlled environment farming. So I'm wondering if I should stop the sharing and, and go back.
and reboot this. But in any case, there's a, there's an image there of um, of a greenhouse with uh, aquaculture and aquaponics, and essentially we use um, the fish protein and the fish waste to feed the plants and and create the circularity in in systems. Um, but going forward, we've been looking from an engineering perspective. How can you look at neighborhood infrastructure through this lens of, of symbiosis, where systems that were previously siloed, that didn't know about each other or cared about each other, can now not only know about each other, but learn from each other. And that really is the basis of our Village OS. It's the kernel of our software to be able to look at this, uh, this uh, mycelial symbiosis between things. And so again, it's the design side, that we can have a generative software product that can really look at how to uh, open up the, the golden key for, for open space, agricultural land with mixed use housing, new build on it, but also on the other side of the software that it can actually run these, these neighborhoods once they're built. So looking at historical data, real-time sensor data, predictive modeling, but basically uh, that machine learning um, I think I'm going to stop sharing real quick, uh, if that's okay, and and reboot my um, my uh, PowerPoint, and then I'll come right back. No, no, of course, no problem. So, um, uh, uh, I, in the meantime, I want to uh, show a few comments we received. Uh, uh, Mr. Jim is uh, complimenting uh, uh, complimenting uh, my bookshelf, and then asking. Uh, uh, if we need uh, to live in metropolitan uh, areas uh, now that we are working remotely, so many of us, uh, which is uh, certainly going to be a, a boost uh, for the ways uh, that uh, region villages is pointing towards. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, absolutely, and and you know we uh, we don't need to live in metropolitan areas, and this technology now, and because of COVID. It's really uh, created this, this new framework where people can actually live further and further away from urban areas and with autonomous mobility and other kinds of things, which I'll talk about, um, all of these things can, uh, can now happen. So it looks like my, my, my PowerPoint has been refreshed. Um, so let me go and, and get that uh, fired up again. Um, I'll share that screen. I will play from my current slide. And yay, do you see it? Yes. Okay, so going back to where I was before, uh, the slide that had the first glitchy, uh, was this idea of this really uh, biodiverse kind of controlled environment farming, okay? So it's not hydroponics, it's um, um, aquaponics and aeroponics, where essentially the fish protein, the fish waste is converted to uh, nitrates, which then feed the plants, the water comes back to the fish tanks fully purified. We can save nearly 80% water farming in this way with almost one-third increased yield. Um, I talked a little bit about the infrastructure uh, and the software side. And then imagine from, let's say, a Buckminster Fuller perspective, or maybe now uh, more of an Elon Musk perspective, a Tesla perspective, this idea that neighborhoods can communicate with each other in a border-free data manner that they can learn and improve based on where they are in climate zones. And, and really it's about these very beautiful places. It's not Star Trek, it's not a holodeck, it's about creating home 
uh, for you know hundreds of millions and billions of people on Earth, where at their doorstep they have access and agency and connectivity to to their natural resources. And the best times in my life, and I'm sure I share this with everyone on this call right now, the best times in our lives, if you think about it, happen when? Usually around really delicious food, typically where you've cooked it together with friends, and imagine that you're getting those ingredients right from your, your doorstep and right from your, your front yard and your community area. But moreover, that you're breaking bread with people from different backgrounds, different cultures, ethnicities, races, and that that um, you really get the sense that you are part of something, even different socioeconomic levels. And moreover, that uh, we can age in place. This idea of assisted living or senior living is really perverse. It really goes against this whole idea of it takes a village. Um, and that's germane to my research at Stanford, by the way, which is, which is all about like the blue zones, how people are living really long, happy, healthy lives, not seeing doctors, not taking pharmaceuticals, um, but where we can look at software and machine learning to redesign open space in harmony with nature, what the land wants from us, what the indigenous wisdom shares with us to do here, but that we can put new housing there. Um, and also the symbiosis, of course, of, of, of animal husbandry in balance with, um, with the, the soil-based farming and the other practices. Um, and then you got to start to see that the, the master plans that can be generatively designed um, in a matter of seconds or minutes is, is super powerful, that we can really get to this place where um, we can rapidly uh, get the planning conditions, reduce the rhetoric for community assessment, and moreover, get these communities built as quickly as possible using the right kinds of building materials and practices uh, for the benefit of human flourishing. I think that's a really great business model. That answer is pretty much all the things we need to be focusing on. Um, getting back to this idea of living uh, in a metropolitan area, we know pretty, uh, we're pretty sure, I would say, that within the next uh, eight to 10 years, that level five autonomous transit will be upon us. And so the idea of um, needing to have a car and a driveway really won't exist anymore. It'll be mobility on demand. We're also really preoccupied in focusing on uh, design for extreme affordability and for social uh, access to these kinds of neighborhoods where you know these very vibrant year-round farmer's market, village square, piazza kitchens, DIY maker movement, shared workspace, uh, clinical dental health care, all these things can be, boom, accessible. <laughs> you know, within walking, biking distance of, of your flat or your house. Um, and so we really look at this idea that even if you're in a social apartment, a social flat, uh, that you have rooftop garden access, atrium, the wider walkable, bikeable community that's edible, um, the tiny house movement that's strong and, and getting more and more popular, the row house movement, you know, the idea of uh, very affordable, townhomes and condominiums, the semi-detached for seniors and those with disabilities, and even the villas, which can also be for co-living and micro-mortgages. And by the way, all of these typologies that you're seeing here and design ideas that you're seeing here um, are, are relevant for North Europe and North America at this time. They would be much different, of course, for Sub-Saharan Africa 
or ASEAN or, or Costa Rica or wherever it might be with different building materials. Um, but speaking about building materials, uh, I'm really excited about where the world has gone recently with these residential towers that are built with mass timber. And they're able to put these together really quickly and cost effectively uh, in these volumetric um, components that truck to site and can go up very quickly. And those volumetric and wall unit components are built in these controlled environment factories, more and more using robots. Um, so what happens is it's such precision construction that you have one third or more um, uh, less, I should say, construction waste, which is huge. You can imagine one third of a new house stick built is going into a dumpster um, and one fifth less construction cost on site. We're also really bullish on this renaissance in 3D extrusion and 3D printed homes. And the idea that you can imagine using replacements to concrete, using hempcrete, bamboocrete, which are carbon sinks and are really beautiful, healthy building materials that are seismic proof and flame retardant and pest and mold resistant um, and make these incredibly beautiful houses that, uh, for instance, the one on the bottom left of the screen there designed by uh, big architects with, with icon 3D printers, um, out the door, two bedroom, one bathroom house, fully finished, less than 5,000 US dollars. That's game changing. That really is game changing, especially for the global south. We also look at urban infill and how we can take some of the regen villages software and logic to, to design and create these components, especially around nutrition and clean water and clean energy. These are more what I would call overlays and not uh, you know uh, retrofits in that same sense. But um, you can have an overlay, for instance, on a mid-residential building like this or taller. And if there's some open space adjacent to it, you can actually get uh, more self-sufficiency. Um, very briefly, Regen Villages is founded as a Dutch holding company. We're an EU entity. We have um, uh, office in Sweden, in UK, in, here in the US, in Canada, most recently in, in, in Chile, in Santiago. Um, and we, we have this outreach uh, since 2014 from all around the world of landowners, government, uh, you know, universities, communities that really want eagerly to see these communities get built in their countries and in their areas. I like to say we're kind of the rolling stones of the modern eco-village movement, 150 million plus web impressions, 33,000 I think now and counting uh, families that have pre-registered to become future residents. Uh, amazing technical partners, this is just a short list of those partners, uh, all able to talk to our Village OS software. And also these amazing university collaborations because of my continuing affiliation at Stanford and Singularity University, this connectivity to these incredible research uh, universities around the world. Um, and the punchline is as follows, which is that uh, we are and have been focused on le leveling up to be able to transact with sovereign wealth and pension funds and to be able to create a framework that uh, can work within the, the UN SDG, ESG, green transition commitments, which now are you know, fixed in terms of these funds needing to abide by. Um, but moreover, 
that we can take an industrialized scale, if we don't mind that term, to the modern eco-village movement. So that, in other words, there's a supply chain. We unlock the land opportunities with our Village OS software. We connect the big finance to the land opportunity and to the supply chain and the real estate development to get these communities built uh, that return impact uh, rate for all of those parties. And then we can really get to the bigger uh, issue at hand, which is designed for extreme affordability, how we can then bring this to the greater global south. So I wanna thank you for this time to, to present uh, the deck. And now I'm really happy, David, uh, to, uh, to, to take your, your, your questions. Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you, James. And uh, uh, we have uh, David on YouTube and James on LinkedIn and Lisa on, on Facebook and uh, uh, Emiliano on uh, uh, Twitch uh, uh, following us. Um, and, and, I, and I welcome uh, their remarks and their, their questions. Uh, uh, one thing, uh, if you write the questions, make them short, otherwise they occupy half of the screen and I may not be able to, to read it all, uh, uh, make it punchy and, and, and clear. Um, actually, uh, Emiliano is asking, well, relative uh, uh, of Italian farmers and, and tongue-in-cheek, uh, how many Italian farmers uh, did you uh, uh, use to feed and train the AI model? Well, he may be asking it tongue-in-cheek, but you, you did refer to, to AI and machine learning. Where does the data come from? And, and uh, what is the kind of classification or recommendation or generative uh, uh, process that uh, the engine is then uh, performing? Sure. It's a great question. Uh, just want to say, first of all, that uh, we're all deeply impacted here by, by the Italian kitchen. So thank you for that question. I uh, just want to say I spent uh, two or three filming tours of our cooking show going across Tuscany and, um, and Sardinia and, and, uh, and, and really understanding, quite honestly, the, in, that Italy represents, I think, one of the most unique countries in the world when it comes to cuisine, because you can go literally one or even a half a kilometer from one place to another, and the recipes are different. Uh, and you know it's it's really quite a remarkable place. So and, and really the quality of life is is uh, very high. Uh, uh, people live long and health healthy lives. Some communities are actually uh, identified that as 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 being uh, genetically uh, as well as environmentally and behaviorally uh, benefiting from from all these components in order to help them uh, live well. So I, I uh, second uh, your, your remarks. Yeah, so, so basically that's, uh, Sardinia is one of the blue zone uh, communities in the world and where people are living very long, healthy, happy lives. Uh, the, from the AI perspective, we're looking at uh, primarily um, two primary components to start with. One is, the, is, is um, resiliency in the built environment. So it's a generic kit of parts for relevant to, to the region and climate zone and providers of that area. So that's the built environment, the, the typologies, the homes, the buildings, the greenhouses, et cetera. The other side is the GIS data, which is what the land wants to be able to accommodate for, for this uh, kind of, of, of community and build. And so 
really what we're what we're on about is that the land speaks to the software first and tells us what is capable of 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 hosting right for that built component and then our logic really is that 20 or 30 percent maximum of that land grant is for the built environment um 70 to 80 percent of that land grant is conserved open space food water energy waste resource management the idea being that that is the high value amenity in terms of critical life support systems so that's that's really what we're on about in terms of data but going forward we're also we have this um this ledger uh baked baked into our village os uh, it's not a crypto, uh, you know, uh, at this point, but it's really a ledger focusing on a, a neighborhood economic system that is is based on what people contribute or don't contribute. So you pay a higher monthly association fee if you if you're not interested in being engaged, and then a very low or lower uh, fee if you are engaged. So that's all with an actuary and tasked and dealt with. Um, other parts of the Village OS, we really, to be perfectly honest. It's what we don't know, isn't it? It's what machine learning loves the most is what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's all this variability, especially with dynamically changing environmental, economic, and now everybody knows health times we're living in. So the mm -hmm. data is, it's a very fruitful place and thankful place to be. Now, uh, one of the challenge challenges of, of, of your vision is that at least naively looking at it from the outside, even though I've uh, I've uh, been following it uh, over the years, is that uh, there is very hard to get from zero to one. Um, if you if you think of building a home, okay, it can be anything from a hundred thousand to a million, just throwing a number. But if you look at the village, well, you have to multiply that by ten or a hundred. Uh, and so, from a from uh, the, the the feasibility point of view, a pilot project can only start when you have a hundred million dollars uh, to to invest and see how it goes over the course of let's say the next ten or twenty years. Um, is that correct, or or there is a way of catalyzing and bootstrapping this differently? So here's the thing: you know, there's plenty of examples of fantastic living labs around the world. Uh, successful eco-villages, struggling eco-villages. There's all these different kinds of, of places to go and study and learn. There's a current state of the art in technology and infrastructure, okay? And it's not a matter of science, technology, and physics any longer, right? It's really just a matter of money and political will. And you're kind of spot on. And somewhere between 80 to 100 million euro to build about a four or 500 home neighborhood on a greenfield location uh, in in North Europe or Canada or US, right? Uh, and 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 so that is um, uh, those numbers are there because that allows us to amortize the regenerative infrastructure costs. So thereby making each of those homes more affordable and more accessible, where we can actually have maybe twenty five to thirty percent or more social affordable access, and then the market rate. Are, are scaled up where the market, the higher end units help to defer some of the social uh, unit costs. Um, but we're definitely focusing on, to be honest, on how to speak the language, which we are doing effectively now 
of these big funds. <clears throat> How can we get them to put half a billion or a billion or more uh, behind this kind of Regen Village initiative? And that's where that's primarily where our focus is. Uh, so um, even though I asked, James didn't listen. Uh, but uh, let me see if I can show his uh, huge question, huge in terms of space. Uh, so he he refers uh, to uh, ownerless uh, autonomous uh, residences uh, where you can actually live in many different communities uh, around the world. Uh, is uh, the concept of region villages compatible with uh, a view of not necessarily being logged in a given uh, property in a given geographical region? It's an amazing question and, and, uh, and one that's near and dear to our hearts, uh, especially when we wait, hopefully very soon, for, for COVID to, to go away and be part of you know, a troubled history, but, but in history, that we can get to a place again where people can travel and be digital nomads and and if they own a home in one region villages or are renting a home in one region village, that gives them a region villages passport. They can then go to another part of, of the world or the country and, and enjoy uh, spending time there and always feel at home in these kinds of places. Now, in terms of ownerless, you know, these are things that we have, again, we have to, from Bucky Fuller's perspective, we have to be able to create a new model that makes the old model obsolete. But in order to make that new model, we have to play within the existing boundaries of economics, isn't it? So we have to be able to make it friendly to current uh, limited partners and institutional funds and all those folks playing in this area. So that's, that's, that's our interest there. Emiliano rightly refers uh, to Saudi Arabia and the uh, experiments uh, that are uh, being built uh, there. Uh, there is a, a lot of uh, wealth that needs to be reallocated from uh, consumption-based uh, 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 practices uh, that uh, are uh, rooted in, in the oil economy of the 20th uh, century and that uh, are eager, actually, to move into uh, uh, sustainable uh, practices around energy, around uh, construction and, and, and living in general. So uh, I, I'm sure that uh, your uh, aim uh, to, to, to learn to speak their language uh, is uh, going to meet uh, very eager ears who want to learn how to listen uh, because the projects are precious uh, as well. The key thing for us really is, to be perfectly honest, it's changing the policies, okay? We have to change these archaic rules on the books where it takes decades to realize a single residential development, okay? This is, has to change. We, we must reinvent this process. And that's where we really feel that machine learning through our Village OS will help to reduce the rhetoric, use a generative platform that people can see and imagine and create these neighborhoods and have um, input and voice to the planning conditions so we can reduce the, the time frame for, for the approvals and, and move rapidly. That then gives the financial markets more risk averse uh, ability to participate. And then of course I mentioned the supply chain of housing providers 
and material companies that are eager to see a rinse and repeat model, but using circular uh, and, and planet-friendly building materials. Uh, there is a, a movement uh, of so-called uh, startup societies uh, that is aiming to establish uh, uh, geographical areas uh, where, similarly to how Shanghai and Shenzhen have been able to uh, accelerate um, incredibly impactful economic development uh, that uh, uh, was able to contribute to hundreds of millions of people in China uh, getting out of poverty, uh, to also uh, become the blueprint for new types of communities where, uh, as you said, the constricting uh, framework of uh, pre-existing regulations could be uh, lifted. Um, have you been in uh, touch with uh, any of those uh, initiatives and frameworks of the startup societies? Uh, you know, we've we've had a, a variety of touch points over the years now with with different groups around the world, and and um, in, you know, in China, for instance, you know, to 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 be able to really work effectively there, you have to really work from the top of the government. Um, yes. To be able to get the movement that you need, and you be able to get the the replication, the scale that you need, um, uh, and similarly in India, you know, to go state by state. In, in, in the case of India, you really need the big players like Tata and Jindal and those folks, you know, on board with you because they're the ones who cross all of the state borders and, and are able to, to get things done. And that's really what we're on about. We want to get this done. And, and we know that once you build these regenerative, resilient uh, communities and that infrastructure that uh, we've already seen and witnessed around the world, that it continues to blossom and fruit. And there's a great example in Southeast India, about a hundred uh, kilometers south of Chennai, an eco village called Oroville. Um, it's a very successful community. It's about 3,000 inhabitants. Um, it has about half a million visitors a year, you know, pre-COVID. And what they did was for the last 50 years or so, slowly but surely, a small group of people, they replanted and planted uh, indigenous um, cultivation there and they restored uh, the, the, the ecosystem to such a point that it's its own climate zone now. It brings rain, it brings pioneer heirloom growth. Um, they're feeding people, they're hydrating people, they're, they're empowering people, they're living in these energy positive homes. They're doing it um, in a very low cost, but very efficient way. And that's and really amazing. You, you, you cited uh, Northern Europe as uh, a potential good target uh, for, for this kind of uh, development. Um, I watched uh, a few months ago uh, a wonderful uh, documentary uh, called Home. Uh, and one of the episodes uh, uh, of the documentary uh, is uh, about uh, a Swedish uh, uh, house uh, that is inside a greenhouse, uh, and and uh, the struggles uh, of the homeowner uh, designing and and, and building uh, the naturhus, uh, as as it is called in in Swedish, yeah. because the local local regulators couldn't understand, for example, that he wouldn't need to be connected uh, to the uh, to the grid. 
because uh, to the to the not sorry the great the, the water mains uh, because he was completely recycling uh, everything and and they would uh, very actively uh, stop uh, him from achieving what uh, what he wanted he was successful at the end but it took him a long time I know the house very well. Uh, I've been there because I mentioned we have an office in in uh, in Malmo in Sweden, um, and that's not far, by the way, from from Malmo. Uh, we've looked at this idea of designing kind of the house inside of a house idea. Some of the sort of early designs that uh, that another architect that we worked with had had uh, had focused on, but it was not from a, an engineering perspective. It wasn't feasible. From a cost perspective, it wasn't feasible. Um, some you're south doubling facing, the cost basically. Yeah, some south-facing glazing is great, but the problem with the full greenhouse envelope is you deal with dirt, condensation, um, bird death, um, and of course there are anomalies like hailstorms, mm. and uh, and so those things do happen. But but uh, you know there's there's a lot of this you know great ideation going on, and and KTH also did this this the Swedish University in Stockholm uh, a similar prototype. We um, really, really think that there's so much to learn from Scandinavia in terms of the design thinking. Also, because we're a Dutch holding company, uh, the Netherlands has been below sea level for 900 years, pretty effectively, um, pretty low tech. Um, and so even though we're talking about software like our village OS and machine learning and the buzzwords, right, of AI and all this stuff, at the end of the day, what, what gets me most excited is Amish tech. You know, uh -huh. I, li I like to say that in Pennsylvania, when the power goes out for the Amish, it's Tuesday. Like, <laughs> in other words, they don't care. It's the same thing. Um, so we're we're really focusing on this kind of, you know, redundancy and resiliency that makes people feel safe for crying out loud. You know, where you can just, uh, you know, you open up your window and you see. You know the the food is growing and the water is 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 you know fresh and everything is there for your family for your kids for your grandkids that also that you age in place as a story arc of life when you go into these eco villages for instance uh, it's amazing you go into the community center they typically have these main central community centers and they have these event boards birth notices life birthday celebrations graduations anniversaries then they have you know, healthcare, uh, hospice care, and death notices. So you grow up in a neighborhood where you see all of that life. And you know, you're not garbage when you get to a certain age, right? Because you're yeah. old, like Logan's Run, if you ever see that movie, where yeah. you turn the age of 30 and that thing starts to blink. Mine stopped blinking a long time ago. Um, anyway, but then there's, there's you know, the, the, uh, the, the people with small kids, they're not pariahs. There's the young people where they're, they feel inspired to be part of something. All of that is possible in one neighborhood, in one community. That's so exciting. So thank you very much. Let's uh, finish with a great question from Emiliano. He's asking how to get involved uh, with the region villages. Well, it, we I think you have a, a link to our website. Uh, that's one way to do it. Uh, it's easy to find me. I'm james at regenvillages.com. Uh, you can also reach me uh, at my Stanford email address, which is james e 
at stanford.edu. And I'm always happy to, to, to meet people and talk to people. I've seen a lot of really great comments and, you know, and questions in here, uh, especially uh, from another James about some platforms and ideas he's working on. Alfie, I'm super curious to learn more about, about your gamification. Sounds super cool and interesting. Um, David from uh, looks like Netherlands, De Vert, De Vert. Yeah, um, he's in Canada actually. Oh, yes. okay, but it's a Dutch name. Um, <laughs> trying to get the Dutch pronunciation right. Um, and can we answer any more questions, or are we done now? Uh, well, I would like to show another link uh, that is uh, uh, the ability for people to actually sign up and uh, become future residents. Uh, I think this is a great way of uh, showing uh, their interest uh, and then receive uh, updates. Uh, this link uh, is in uh, your website, uh, just uh, I think uh, at the bottom. Yes. Uh, you also accept donations. And then here you go. Uh, you just uh, sign up uh, to be a future uh, resident. So um, I just want to say, if it's possible, uh, not to to bury the lead here, uh, but we we are a impact investment vehicle. We are definitely in the process uh, right now of our raising our Series A round, um, which will allow us to actually complete our Village OS software, which we're making great progress on, but also allow us to build the first 400 home uh, community. So if you or folks that you know in your uh, sphere could be interested in uh, as an impact investor, um, we'd really be happy to, to have you join our other impact investors from around the world who have supported us thus far since 2016. Wonderful. Uh, James, uh, thank you very much for uh, being uh, with us today. Congratulations for uh, the incredible progress that uh, you've made. I am very much looking forward to share uh, 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 healthy, nutritious meal in uh, uh, one of the uh, region villages uh, uh, as soon as uh, they are ready uh, together with you. That's that sounds great. Um, I'm just wondering if if you want to get to any of these other questions that were asked or oh, you, you are to welcome to pick any and and uh, and answer them. Uh, we. That we can go I, on for another uh, five or 10 minutes for sure. I appreciate that because I, I, I never like to leave people uh, sort of wanting to know um, a question not get answered. Uh, so let me just say, um, uh, I guess Emiliano asking about uh, Neon and the, the futuristic region of Saudi Arabia. Yes, we've we've had some touch points with some of their, um, their big planning groups and have and done some consulting. Uh, for for them, uh, it's tough, of course, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia because they don't build even 400 or 500 home neighborhoods. They go for 500,000. That's how <laughs> they roll uh, over there. Um, and and we're trying to to connect the dots for them in the best way possible on how to to create um, these these communities in areas where there is rain. When the rain does come, how best to really capture uh, that water flow. And, and, and retain it and, and keep it in aquifers. But yes, absolutely. Um, uh, so David, happy to have you join our cause, however you wanna help. I'll look forward to engaging with you further. Um, uh, just trying to see, I thought there was one. 
Yeah, uh, James James is asking a radical question. Uh, uh, he was asking about the ownerless uh, uh, homes. Uh, so can the cost uh, be reduced to, to zero? Um, I don't know uh, what the economic model would allow that, uh, uh, but uh, what is your opinion? My opinion is as follows. Um, there's an urgent housing crisis right now on earth. There's probably a billion, billion two or so less houses than than you know what we need right now and um and two to three billion more people coming to the planet um and so it's a it's a crisis wherever you go around the world there's a housing shortage and and a lot of people are saying you have to just keep building and keep retrofitting in these very dense urban areas but from our perspective that's a recipe for disaster to be perfectly honest but to get to a social affordable uh capability That's why we're so bullish on this 3D printing and extruded kind of communities. Imagine these crawling robots in Southern India or Sub-Saharan Africa or across ASEAN or MENA that are taking earthen building materials and extruding houses in 24, 48 hours. And in a matter of a couple few weeks, you get essentially a village of infrastructure that is curing and then a few weeks later a few couple months later it's finished and a few hundred families can move in there at at such a small cost that then you know you have government support as initiatives to to get these families from those impoverished slum areas right surrounding those big cities and those rings of poverty back out to these rural areas right That's how we get to free housing. Um, but it can't just be social free housing. There has to be, from our perspective, a path to ownership, a path to entitlement, where if you commit 20 years and you work hard in that community and you do the right things to be supportive and take pride in that community, you can then pass that property to your children and grandchildren, et cetera. That's how we break the cycle of poverty, hey? That's our perspective on, on that concept. Um, a great question from, from David is, uh, what can you say about the challenges in attaining your vision? Um, maybe you'd like to see the brick marks on my forehead um, <laughs> because there's lots of them, but uh, primarily uh, it, it has a lot to do with the status quo. There's a status quo in how architects, engineers, designers, urban planners, consultants, a very fat ecosystem that likes to take their time, coupled with um, you know, current uh, construction companies and material companies that don't want to change their ways and continue to stamp out you know, the same kinds of not so planet friendly homes and buildings. And then you've got uh, the moneyed interests that sort of support both of those ecosystems and and government you know, bureaucrats who aren't bad people, excuse me, but they just need a new rule book. So the biggest issue for us really is how do we change the policies as quickly as we can? How can we take the, the new build components, put them onto open space that's been designed for this regenerative permaculture and show how we can prove that these communities over a period of time are not only improving the lives of the people who live there, but also the public goodwill radius. I want to say we just finished a research initiative with Duke University uh, that is showing long-term positive externalities 
over 50 years. Like what would it be like to build and live in a regen village in terms of carbon sequestration, offsets, but moreover, uh, reducing burdens on governments, reducing burdens on healthcare systems. Well, guess what? That means that there's a lot more safety and security going around and happiness and health, which means that our, uh, our idea of living in scarcity can start to be more relaxed and we can start to think bigger thoughts. And that's where we can start to, to really address some of the bigger issues uh, around the world. So we've been, just so you know, part of the EU Smart Rural Village Commission since uh, 2018, an active member of the European Network for Rural Development. Um, we are a part of the um, EU Bauhaus Roundtable movement. And we've recently been appointed uh, by the UN Climate Change Secretariat uh, as a um, one of their bright light initiatives. So we're really excited about what that means and where that's going in terms of, of creating the circumstances where we're, we're checking off all these boxes for investors, ESG, SDG, green transition commitments, moreover, for the benefit of humanity and a healthy planet. So thanks again. Thank you, James. Uh, this was wonderful. And uh, I'm looking forward to following uh, your progress uh, together with, uh, with our viewers. Thanks for being with us. Cheers. So thank you, everyone, for uh, being uh, on uh, Searching for the Question Live. Uh, I am uh, looking forward to uh, hosting uh, people with ambitious ideas who are able to sustain them, bring them to fruition, uh, like uh, James from uh, Region Villages. And um, I'm looking forward to have you uh, here with us at uh, the next episode of uh, Searching for the Question Live. Mm -hmm.